0: Well, good morning, Bethel. Good morning. Good to see everybody here this morning. Everybody a little confused? Who is this guy? I'm looking at my bulletin. He doesn't look like James Steiner, does he? He looks like that guy John Nugent. Oh, I know why I didn't recognize him. He actually has long pants on, because he usually comes to church in shorts. Absolutely. Uh, So Jim gave us a call on Thursday and said, Guys, I tore my MCL. I can't be with you on Sunday. So I got off on a plane from visiting my brother in New Jersey, a couple of rounds of golf and some fun. And uh, I get a call from Tim Raymer. Hey, John, you're, you're pinch hitting on Sunday. Oh, I said I am. What does that mean? You're giving the sermon on Sunday. So here we go. Now, I've taken a look at Jim's sermon. It looks pretty darn good. I think we're missing out here on something. But we're going to talk about contentment today, okay? We're going to talk a little bit about Contentment. So that is the the title of the sermon this morning is, I Can't Get No Satisfaction. Now, the title of that song, oh, I just gave it away. You can't find that in the Bible. It's actually a song by who? The Rolling Stones. And who sang that song? That's right, Mick. Mick Jagger sang that song. It was the number one hit song in 1965. Okay? They are the, one of the greatest rock and roll bands of all time. Now, I went on Wikipedia and it said, what was the reason behind that song, Mick? And it says here that he describes the song as his discontentment at that time and all the stress of being a rock star. Oh, the poor fellow. You know, can you imagine that? Here he is, 22-year-old guy. He is an absolute rock star. He is the lead singer for arguably the number one rock and roll band of all time. No slight to the Beatles. And yet, he's lamenting about his discontentment over his fame and fortune. So Mick couldn't get no satisfaction. What about uh, us today? What about Americans today? Did you ever hear of the happiness report? There is. There's a report called the happiness report. And what it does, it measures the level of happiness of people. So there's about 75 different countries where happiness quotient has been measured by people. And guess where the United States stands? We're down in the bottom third on that report. The report says that only one out of three Americans is very happy. One out of three. That's pretty, that's pretty shocking. And to think of it. Here we are, one of the richest countries in the world, but yet we're one of the most unhappiest countries in the world. I guess that old adage that money can't buy happiness is actually true. Well, I bet you young people are happy, right? Come on, what about you millennials out there? You must be fully satisfied. Well, the report shows that you happen to be the most stressed generation right now. The most stressed generation. So it seems that Americans and even young people, you millennials, can't get no satisfaction. Remember this album cover? I used to love that. I should have put that up a little bit earlier. It takes you back, huh? Yeah, which one is Mick? One, two, three. Fourth from the left. Do you see Mick today? I went online to take a look at some of the videos. I thought maybe I'd throw the song up. Whew. I tell you, that rock and roll life can take a toll on you. (laughs) Um... Finally, here's another statistic for you. The National Center for Health states that one out of three Americans are clinically depressed and are currently taking antidepressant medication. Do you know how many adults there are in America? 250 million adults in America. Are you trying to tell me there's 10% that are clinically depressed? They're under a doctor's care. They're receiving antidepressant medication. That's 25 million adults in the United States. Do you know how many people there are in the total population of Australia? That's more than them. It's more than the total population of all the people in North Korea. There's an epidemic going on across America. What the heck is going on? Our culture's view for overcoming feelings of dissatisfaction is to simply buy more of whatever this world is selling. Whatever this culture's selling, whatever the world's selling, I'm buying it, okay? In my hope to find satisfaction, meaning, and purpose in in life. It's quite a struggle to go down that path. Think about global advertising dollars. Do you know why people companies put out ads for you to buy their stuff? Do you know what's going on behind the ads, the message behind the ads? The message is you're dissatisfied. You don't like the way you look. You don't like who you are. You buy my product and things are going to change for you. They spend 500 billion dollars a year on advertisement. That's a half a trillion dollars a year telling you that you're dissatisfied and you need my stuff. Does anybody know how large our GDP our, our economy is in the United States? 15 trillion. We're a consumer-oriented country. In other words, consumers contribute over two-thirds to that. In other words, we spend close to $10 trillion a year as Americans to buy stuff. We spend $10 trillion a year to buy stuff, hoping that it's going to relieve the meaningless and the purposelessness and the discontent in our, in our hearts today. We all want purpose, don't we? Anybody not want purpose, meaning, and contentment in life? Good. I'm speaking to the right audience. But it seems too elusive sometimes, doesn't it? I want purpose. I want meaning. I want contentment. But I just can't seem to get my hands around it. It's just too, it's just too elusive. You know, and it's really interesting that I think we all suffer from what I call the disease of more and better. If I could just have more, if I could just have better, then I would be satisfied in life. Then I would be content with my life. If I just had more money, if I had more influence, if I had more power, if I had more rights, if I had better clothes, if I didn't live in such a shabby apartment, you know, if I had a better-looking boyfriend who treated me better, then I'd be happy. If I had a better spouse, then I would be, be happy. We all suffer from this rot that's within us that better and more. If I could just get better and more, then I would be content. Has anybody heard of John D. Rockefeller? Okay. He was an industrialist that lived in the mid-1800s. This guy, at the time of his life, was the richest man in the world. He was asked how much money it took to make a man happy. You know how much he said? Just a little bit more. Just a little bit more. He, too, suffered from the disease of more and better, just like the rest of us. We, too, often succumb to this idea of more and better, and then we'll have meaning and contentment in life. But if you ever tried to put it to practice, you know it doesn't work. Did you get that new apartment? Did you get that new hairstyle? Did you get those new clothes? Did you get that new boyfriend after a while it all fades doesn't it and we're back to feelings of discontentment so we know trying to look to those things for meaning and contentment in life just ain't gonna just ain't gonna work if you're a young person just ask an older person does it work they'll be the first to tell you nope doesn't work let's take a look at this word contentment the greek word for contentment means self sufficiency Okay? It was used by the Stoic philosophers to describe a person who was proud of their self sufficiency, which supposedly led to happiness. So these Stoic philosophers would preach the notion that be self sufficient. Happiness is all within you. You have the ability to make yourself happy, you have the ability to make yourself self sufficient, and you can be content in life. It's a lie perpetrated straight from hell. It's a lie. It also described a person who was unflappable and unmoved by external circumstances in their life. As Christians, we need to understand that our sufficiency is found in who? Jesus. Our sufficiency is found in Christ. No need to look at the world. It's one big lie. Need to shift our gaze and cast our gaze upon Jesus. He is our sufficiency. 2 Corinthians 3.5 says that our sufficiency is from God. God has graciously, through his loving graciousness towards us, provided everything that we're going to need in life to have contentment, to have meaning, and to have purpose. Now, the prophet Haggai, in chapter 1, verses 5 through 6, you can see it here, says this. Now, this is what the Lord Almighty says. Whoa, we stand to attention. What, Lord? Give careful thought to your ways. Okay. He's going to he's going to preach to the ways. You have planted much, but you've harvested little. You eat but never have enough. You drink but never have your fill. You put on the clothes, on clothes, but are not warm. You earn wages only to put them in a purse. I love this. With purse with hole in it. Sometimes it seems like you're putting your money in a wallet with holes in it or in a purse with holes in it, sure. God is saying, look, look, Give careful thought to the way you're living your life. Give careful thought to the thought process that you have in your head. Why do you look for contentment in all the wrong places? What are you doing? We try to find contentment by working longer hours, and yet we still got absolutely nothing to show for it. We look for contentment and satisfaction in food. And even with a full belly, we still feel empty. We look for contentment in alcohol, drugs, yet each morning we wake up and we still feel that sense of dissatisfaction, that sense of meaningless, that sense of purposelessness. We look for satisfaction, if I could just make more money, then I would be satisfied, only to end up losing it all in a get-rich-quick scheme. We keep buying better clothes. Man, if I could just get some better-looking clothes, I'd be cooler. And I could get that good looking girl. Or I could get that that guy. I gotta upgrade my, my wardrobe. Well, ladies, what happens? Three weeks later, where are those clothes? They're in the back of the the back of the closet. And I'm still feeling that lack of contentment in in life. God is saying, look, analyze this way of thinking. What I you know what I call this thinking? I call it stinking thinking. Okay, I think I mentioned that before. Stinking thinking one time. It only leads you down. It will not build you up. Now, the book of Ecclesiastes in the Old Testament is the absolute painful, painful autobiography of the richest man in the world at that time, King Solomon, who for much of his life, he squandered all of God's blessing on his own personal pleasure. He... He learned that earthly, pr- produce, uh, earthly pursuits produce emptiness apart from God. Let me say that again slowly without stumbling over my words this time. He learned he lived a long time. He was a man of great wisdom, and God gave him even a greater portion of wisdom. At that time in his life, he was considered the wisest man in the world, and kings would com- and queens would come from all over the globe to just sit before King Solomon to take in his wisdom. So we should listen to this dude. Here's what he says, that all earthly pursuits produce emptiness apart from God. Let that sink in. Solomon mentions the word vanity 37 times throughout the book of Ecclesiastes. And vanity is the futile attempt to be satisfied and to be content apart from God. The futile attempt. It doesn't work. To be satisfied apart from God. So why is it that we try all these other things? Okay? So, again, it's absolutely impossible to have a deep sense of meaning and commitment and contentment in your life apart from God. As they say in the South, that dog just don't hunt. Solomon goes on to say in chapter 7, verse 14... In the day of prosperity, be joyful. Don't you love this? But in the day of adversity, hmm, consider this. Surely God has appointed the one as the other. What is God saying? Oh, God is with me, and I'm in his favor when times are good. But when times are bad, where's God? Asleep at the switch. I don't know if I can trust God anymore. We get down on God. And God is saying here, look, times of adversity... And times of prosperity are ordained by me. So if you're going through times of adversity, those days were ordained by God himself. If you're going through days of prosperity right now, those also were ordained by God himself. Okay? Solomon is saying, so take heart. Take heart that no matter what situation you might find yourself in, God is there. No need to panic he has ordained these days. He's going to give you the strength and the perseverance to get through these days. Amen? All right. This theme is also found in Hebrews thirteen five. Be content with what you have because God has said, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. So we are told to be content whatever we have, whether you have plenty or you don't have a whole lot in life. Right? Even in times of struggles, we are commanded to be content. Be content. Contentment is not based upon our circumstances. Contentment transcends our circumstances. That's the power of God working in our lives. Oh, John, if you only knew what I was going through, you wouldn't say that. You know, look, if we all put our, if we all had backpacks on, and they all had all of our stuff that we're dealing with, and we, we sat around a table, we all entered our st- Emptied our stuff on the table, you know what we'd do? And we'd be looking at everybody else's stuff, we'd say, "Whoa, I think I'm going to take my stuff back. I'd rather live with my stuff than anybody else's stuff." Okay? So God says, "Be content. I am sovereign. I am the one in control, not you. So other times, the plenty or want, be content." Because God says, "What? How can you be content? What does it say in the bottom? Because I will never leave you. And I will never forsake you. But What happens is our faith starts to drop along with our IQ a little bit when we're struggling in life. And God says, whoa, whoa, whoa. I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. Okay? John Stott. He's the great Anglican cleric. He wrote this. Contentment is the secret of inward peace. It remembers the stark truth that we brought nothing into the world and we can take nothing out of it. Life, in fact, is a pilgrimage from one moment of nakedness to another. So we should travel light and live simply. Our enemy is not possessions, but excess. Our battle cry is not nothing, but enough. We've got enough. Simplicity says if we have food and clothing we will be content with that. So let's take a, a switch here, and let's uh, transition into, I took a look at Philippians, Philippians chapter 4, verses 1 through 14. There's a lot of great concepts in there about contentment. I went ahead and pulled out what I would call six secrets of contentment. Okay, you ready to roll with me on these? Ready to roll? Okay, here we go. Listen to Paul's words in Philippians four eleven. Not that I speak from want, I have learned. That's the operative word here. I have learned to be content in whatever circumstances I am. So Paul is writing. Where's Paul? He's exhorting the church to be content. Is he on a beach, sipping my ties on a beach, having a lot of fun, vacationing? And so he feels uplifted. He's writing about contentment. He's in a first century prison. He's a prisoner writing about contentment. He's despised by the world. He's being criticized by by the church, and yet he writes about contentment. It is in this context that he talks about contentment, and he says contentment is something that we learn. So we go through good times, and we go through bad times, and we learn not to get too high in the good times, and let's not get too low in the bad times. Right, Sometimes our emotions go up and down with our prosperity and our adversity. That's a tough way to live. You'd be a tough person to live with. Always up and down with the circumstances in life. And God said, look, we should maintain an even keel through the ups and downs of life. Our faith and our trust in God should not be going up and down with the circumstances in our life. We need to learn and to practice to maintain our faith and to maintain our trust in God no matter what our circumstances happen to be in life. By walking with Christ through persecution and difficulty and suffering, we learn to what? We quiet our souls. It's something that doesn't come naturally. You have to be proactive To quiet your soul, you need to sit before God and pray to God and ask Him to quiet your soul. I'm getting too agitated. My faith is waning. I'm going up and down. Sit before the Lord who can quiet your soul. He's got the power to do that. So we learn by experience that God is the source of our contentment. A gentleman by the name of Doug McKnight could say those words. At the age of 32, this gentleman was diagnosed with multiple sclerosis. Over the next 16 years, it would cost him his life, his mobility, and eventually his life. Because of MS, he couldn't feed himself, he couldn't walk, he battled depression, and he battled fear. But through it all, Doug never lost his sense of gratitude. Evidence of this was seen in his prayer list. Friends in his congregation asked him to compile a list of requests so they could intercede to God for him. His response included 18 blessings for which to be grateful and six concerns for which to be prayful. His blessings outweighed his needs by three times. Doug McKnight had learned to be content. So had the leper on the island of Tobago. A short-term missionary met her on a mission trip. On the final day, he was leading worship in a leper colony. He asked if anybody had a favorite song. When he did, a woman turned around and he saw the most disfigured face he had ever seen. She had no ears, she had no eyes, she had no lips, but she raised a fingerless hand and asked, could we sing count your many blessings? Here is a woman who found contentment in Christ and not in her circumstances. Number two, contentment has nothing to do with our circumstances. I know how to get along with humble means, and I also know how to live in prosperity. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of being filled and going hungry, both of having abundance and suffering need. So contentment is this level of joy. It's this level of of peace that nourishes our soul, and it transcends every single circumstance in our life. Therefore, like Paul, we can experience contentment even in times of difficulty and adversity. It's a marvelous thing. It's not about what I have. It's about who has my best interest at heart? That's where contentment comes from. It's not based upon what I have, but who's got my best interest at heart? Who's got your best interest at heart? It's not that tough. God, yeah. God has got your absolute best interest at heart. Do you believe it? Amen. Amen. The world does not have your best interest at heart. Only God has our best interest in heart. That's where we can generate contentment from. He knows what's going on in our life. Absolutely, positively knows what's going on in our life. What happens? What are we saying to God? If we're living in a state of discontentment, what kind of message are we sending to God when we're constantly dissatisfied with what we have, we're dissatisfied with the way we look, we're dissatisfied who we are as a person, and we kind of mope around you know, going through life a dissatisfied, discontented person. What does that, what does that say to God? Yeah, it says, God, I'm not, I'm not grateful for your blessings. It says, God, I know you have all these promises in the scripture, but they must be for somebody else. They can't be, they can't be for me. Okay, so I, I, I don't believe these promises, Lord. I guess I just don't have enough faith or, 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 or trust in you. That's what it's saying. So we need to ground ourselves in Christ and be content in him. Everything that God is doing in our lives is ordained by God himself. All the different adversity that's going on in your life, all the different prosperity, the good things that are going on in your life, God is bringing them all together. He's knitting them all together for your good. What does Romans 8.28 say? God causes all things to work together for good for those who love him according to his purpose. So know that your good times and your struggling times are all being woven together for your good. It's hard to believe that at the time you're going through adversity, but think about that principle. God is using the good times and the bad times for his purpose. And what is God's purpose for you in this life? It's to become holy as he is holy, righteous as he is righteous, to become godly. That is our purpose in life, okay? And God uses good times and he ordains bad times, weaves them together to produce godliness in each and every one of us. So when God, you're going through some tough times, God's working. God's working, I guarantee it. He's working on you. He's helping you to become more godly, more holy, more holy more righteous. Number three, contentment is not achieved by always demanding our rights. Woo! Man, we're in San Francisco. We see this every single day, right? People demanding their rights. Groups of people demanding their rights, okay? It's our culture today. Most people will take umbrage at the fact and even take arms at the fact if you step on their rights or if you violate their rights. We live in a culture That's quite frankly destroying our culture, that I want my rights. Don't disrespect me, or or you'll you'll face these. Okay? And what is it with that? It's a very difficult way to live. Everyone wants their rights. If you violate them, people are going to curse you. People are going to physical abuse on you. They're going to sue you for every dime that you have. And these kinds of people will never, ever find contentment. Contentment is not found in sticking up for your rights all the time. Let's take a look at Philippians 4 5. Let your gentleness be known to all men. A little word study on gentleness. Here's what gentleness means gentleness refers to contentment with generosity towards others. So when people are stepping on your rights, we are to be content with generosity towards them it can also refer to leniency towards the faults and failures of others people will fail you each and every single day loved ones will fail you each and every single day loved ones and friends that you trust will step on your supposed rights how are we to respond as christians put up your dukes you disrespected me ah of course of course not it says it says here we are to offer leniency towards the faults and failures of others. And finally, I love this one. It can also refer to patience. Patience, something that we're all in short supply of. Me at the front of the list. Patience of someone who is willing to submit to an injustice or a mistreatment by another person without retaliating. woo So I've been disrespected. My rights have been trampled. And what are you telling me to do? To be a person of patience, to submit to the injustice that that person perpetrated on me, and to not retaliate. Woo, that's pretty pretty heavy. Okay, that's what God calls us to do. Number four, contentment involves confident faith with Christ. What's the opposite of faith? Fear, anxiety. So if you're living in a state of fear and anxiety, it's really tough to have faith. And the opposite is true. The inverse is true. If you're living in a state of great faith and trust in God, it's tough to have deep feelings of anxiety and fear. So it's all about faith. The end of verse 5 says, The Lord is near. See that? The Lord is near. Then it picks up in the first part of verse 6. Be anxious for nothing. I kind of looked at that and said, it kind of comes together. The Lord is near. So in other words, you shouldn't be too anxious and fearful because the Lord is near. How near is the Lord? He's living within us through the person of the Holy Spirit. The Lord can't get any nearer than that. He lives right inside of us. He can't get any nearer. So no need to be anxious and fearful. He actually lives directly inside of us. Christ living in us is the reason we should feel secure. Now I know we look for security in a lot of different areas. You know, you know if I could just get my health back, then I'd feel more secure. If my bank account was just a little bit bigger, then I think I'd feel more secure. You know if my company was doing better and I wasn't living under the Uh, under the pressure of potentially getting fired, then I could be more secured, feel more secure. But there's a lot of those reasons. But they could all be taken away at the snap of a finger. Your health can be gone at the snap of a finger. Your job can be gone at the snap of a finger. The money you have in your bank account that you base in security, boom, the market tanks, it could be gone at the snap of a finger. So God is saying, your security is found in me. Your security is found in the rock, myself, Jesus Christ. So instead of worrying, pray. Just pray. We learn to leave it with God in prayer. And we've all experienced the peace of God, haven't we? Haven't we fallen, gotten down on our knees when, we feel, when we're under anxiety and pressure? We say, God, I lift my burden to you. Grant me your peace. And what happens? We get peace, don't we? It's amazing. When we go before the Lord, peace comes upon our hearts. That's where peace is found. So look, today, leave your burdens with the Lord and go get a good night's sleep tonight. Number five, contentment is gained by taking all our cares to the Lord in prayer. Verse six, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, and then he adds this little thing. It's almost like a little appendage God adds. Oh, don't forget. Now, when you come to me in prayer, don't forget, come with thanksgiving and let your requests be known to God. It's interesting that God says, take your problems to me, but in a spirit of thanksgiving. Yeah, hey, wait a minute. The Lord hasn't even answered my prayer yet. When he answers my prayer, maybe then I'll be thankful. And God is saying, no, 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 no. While you're bringing your prayers and your petitions to me, do it in a spirit of thankfulness thanking God for who He is, thanking for how He has provided for us, thanking Him for all of His promises in the Scripture, thanking Him for, prom- for all of the means and the ways that He got us out of our difficult times in the past and how He's going to get us out of these difficult times in the present. Okay? So, if you... The, the other thing here is, is quit thinking about self. Okay, well, actually, let me go, let me move on to versions, uh, verses 8 through 9. Finally, brethren, whether whatever is true, you see this in 8 and 9, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is of good repute, if there is any excellence and if anything worthy of praise, dwell on these things. The things you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. So don't feed your discontentment, okay? Don't, don't we love to talk about negative things? You know, in business and in school, you know, you're talking with somebody, you gossip about what's wrong here and what's wrong there, and my boss this and my fellow worker that. I don't know. We're just, we just lend ourselves to being kind of negative. And the Bible is saying, look, don't feed your discontent, if, if you start feeding your discontent with all of this stuff, well, I don't have enough, you know, if I only had this, if I only had more, if I only had better, then I would be content. You're going to be a tough person to be around. You know, you're going to be moping around all life, your, your whole life. Put that away. Don't feed your head with those things. Feed your head with these things, everything that is pure, everything that is good, everything that is Godly. Fill your head with the promises of God, how he'll never forsake you or never leave you. Fill your head with the promise that he is near. He is our brother. He is our Lord and our Savior. We can go to him for anything. He is near. Let me end with this. Jesus is the secret to real, deep, long-lasting contentment in life. Unless Jesus Christ is, is your source of contentment, you will always be searching in vain. Some might say, oh, you know, my desire for the world, or my desire for more, and my desire for, for better is something that I just, I just, I just can't control. It's too strong. I, I would say the problem is your love for Jesus is a little too weak. Okay, so let's get with Christ. He is the source of our contentment. And so let me just end with that. He is the good shepherd. Remember that. Our Lord is our good shepherd. He is faithful. We can put our trust in him. Psalm 23, verses 1 through 4. The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me besides quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. Mm. He guides me along the right paths for his namesake. Even though I walk through adversity, darkest valley, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Look, with Jesus as my shepherd, I shall not want for anything in this life. I will find my contentment in Jesus Christ. There is no need that escapes the attention of God. There is nothing beyond his compassion for you. There is nothing behind, beyond his ability to provide for you. And during times of adversity, he promises to lead us by his hand, provide for us, protect us. And when we die, he promises to lead us into eternity. Amen. Our relationship with Jesus Christ is what brings purpose, meaning, and contentment in life. That's a hard stop. End of story. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your son, Jesus Christ. Thank you, dear God, for, for allowing your son, Jesus, to come down here and die on a cross for us. Thank you that through your grace, we know you and Jesus as our Lord and our Savior. And dear God, help us to turn to you for contentment, turn to you for purpose, turn to you for meaning in life, and turn our gaze away from the world and towards you, dear God. Help us to understand that we are secure, that we are safe in your hands. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.